This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Tzfarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. What is the metaphor? What what is the metaphor? And the Rambam explains as as he usually does. Let's go to where it says page one. And the Rambam explains what the word feet means. It's not relevant to our discussion. Um, his, look at the very bottom of the right hand column on on, on this side. Vihisbonin. It's after the twenty two of the start. Omro kemase livnas hasape. It says it was like um, white, like a brick of crystal. Ve'ilu hoisa kavana hamare. If we were talking about what it looked like, hayaome kilivnas hasape. It would say it was like a crystal brick. Hosef mase. It says it was the same structure as a crystal. Substances, materials, are acted upon by other forces. A stone gets chiseled, it gets painted, and so on. That's the important one. Livna sasape. What is a crystal brick? It's something which is transparent. Crystal or diamond or glass are not white but transparent. A sapphire, and again, he takes this to mean, I guess, crystal or, or diamond, is not white. It's transparent. Transparency is not a color. Were it to be a type of color, it could not possibly reflect any other color. Because a transparent body has no innate coloring, it is it's able to reflect any other color. This is very similar to the most primordial matter, which actually is neda kolatsuros, completely devoid of any properties. Khalifos, it can it can express any other property. Hold a second. In other words, the Rambam is saying that whenever we look at matter in the world, we can distinguish between the matter and the properties that it has. Things have color, things have shape, things have viscosity, and so on. But the primal matter is something which exists. It, it, it has, its property is that it can take on any other property. I mean, uh, since we're so used to it, we actually, a lot of times, don't even marvel at it. 
But the idea of transparency is something that's really almost counterintuitive. We live with, I mean, we live with glass windows and there's windows all around and the yeshiva has windows all over. And for us, a window is not a marvel. But windows are, are a relatively late invention that glass can be really transparent is not, it, it was very, 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 very expensive. Um, in, in the ancient times, glass that was transparent and it wasn't terribly transparent. So, so you tell somebody you have a wall, it's matter, it's thick, and yet it will give, it will transmit any other image. It, it, I, I, we don't marvel at it enough. And, and the, the Rambam says this is indicative, or this is probably symbolizes that there is a state where matter exists, but it has no properties yet, and it's ready to express any other property. The glass, the transparent glass, will give you over color, it'll give you over shapes, it'll give you over anything in the street through that glass. So the Rambam says, and then he says, he continues, which means, he says, um, so what they understood was So the Rambam says, these people who went up to that mountain were able to understand the world at the place that it touches God. In other words, the world that we have is created world. It has its own properties. It has own colors, shapes, and properties. The, the, as it comes closer to God, it becomes less, it doesn't have any properties. All it is is matter that is ready to express other properties. Just like when you bake a cake or something, you start with flour, and the flour tends to be very, very um, devoid of any of its own properties. All it does is it's able to give out the sweetness and the colors and everything else that you do with it. Matter was created in two stages. There's primal matter, which is devoid of any specific properties, and then there are properties that were embossed on it, that were imprinted on it, and expressed through it. That is how, and the Ramam says, the, the, the furthest, a person cannot understand God, but the furthest human mind can go to is hid on that matter. And the Ramam says, because that matter is, comes straight from Kaddish Baruch Hu. We're going to understand that towards the end of this year, in what sense the Rama means. It's not only science. Science, as far as it goes in itself, is not really touching on God. But in what sense does that matter bring you almost to the point of touching God? We're going to explain that at the end. There was the Rambam in Mordebuchim, um, in section 128. Let's see the next one. The next one is Rabbeinu Bechaya. Rabbeinu Bechaya is a commentary on the Torah. And again, pardon me if I'm explaining something you know already, but I assume there are people that don't know. Rabbeinu Bechaya was a, he lived in Spain. Um, he was a student of the Rashba. And his Pirush is a very comprehensive Pirush on the Torah. And as usual, because it's on the lengthy side, it's not popular today. Um, people like uh, shorter pieces today. But he's very, very known for doing the following. He has four layers of explanations for much of the Torah. 
He deals with the grammatical and, and textual issues. He deals with medrash, and he will usually bring in as many medrashim as there are on, on something. He deals with Kabbalah topics, and he deals with philosophical topics. So he's, in a sense, very comprehensive, brings a lot of material. Um, he's seen as being close to Ramban in thought and so on. Take a look at um, the, the, page two is his beginning. Um, skim down the, the issue he deals with here is how did creation take place? Was everything created in its day? In other words, on Monday the heavens were created, on Tuesday the grass and so on, or no? He says, um, to, to make things easier, skip down to where it's like a little 78. That the, the material from which everything was created was created on the first day. In other words, all matter was there in one shot. Afterwards, from this primal matter, in each one, there was a differentiation, each one of the six days, a different part of it was created. It says in the Pasuk, he said, and then it came into being, Beer. Ki hakol hoya bahamira vavaya achas. Everything was brought into this world in one instant. Vaachakain, and afterwards, sivod varyom biyomo. Each day he gave instructions. Vehemirat varyvatim lepol, and then brought it out into realization. In other words, the potential... Everything potentially was there at the first instant. As soon as matter came into the world, everything potentially existed. And each day there was another um, differentiation into a different fruit, trees, animals, and so on. Similarly, um, if you'll skip across the page, to, there's a bezo there. It says, Baharat's haisu tohu vavohu. What is tohu vavohu? So, um, go to page number three, which is a continuation of that page. He says, HaChomer Hazer, this material, Nikra Baloshna Torah Tohu, is called Tohu. Or Baloshna Philosophim, in the, in the um, Greek philosophy, it's called Hiyuli. O Bohu, what is Bohu? Hu Hatsura Hanilbeshes LaChomer. It is the... Tzura means form or distinct properties that then imprints itself on this matter. Vihimila Murkevitz, Bohu's two words together, Bohu, Kloma, Dover, Sheyesh Botsura, something that already has a form, something that already has properties. So creation is divided into Tohu, which is just substance, things. Ubohu means clearly defined properties, color, and, and every chemical property that, that, that different materials have. Yes? Would this correspond to 
correlates to the idea of the Bria Geshme Ayin, that the Bria is the Lushan of, of Tohu. And correct. 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 Yes, definitely so. Okay. Um, Rabbi Singer is referring to there are two or three terms used in Hebrew for creation, a creation process, and it's Kabbalists used a lot, but it's 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 a term that are used a lot. Bria means bringing something into being that didn't exist. Yitzira means giving shape and form to things that already exist. You're not creating something new, but you're stamping properties on it. And asiya means to finish off something and so on. So correct. So Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar reinforces in his words what the Rambam says, that creation is a two-step process. There is matter that is just existence, like putty, like clay, like flour that you bake a cake with. And then there are distinct properties imposed on them, impressed on them. Now, that's the big picture, so to speak, of um, the world. Let's go to the next one, which is mankind, on page four. It's a medrash, a medrash tanchuma. Medrash tanchuma is one of the famous medrashim, very, very important medrash. And it's going, Zesha Omar HaKosif. It's on the base on the right-hand side of the first paragraph there. Dava Acha V'yoldo Zohar. Zesha HaKosif Ein Kodosh Kashem Techa. It says that Shmuel's mother, Hannah, when she had Shmuel, she said an extraordinarily... Um, moving Shira about what it means to become a mother for someone who didn't have children. And she praised God and she said, Ain Kadosh Kashem, there's no one as holy as God, Ain Biltecha. It says, Ve'ain Sur Kelokeinu, literally means there is no rock, fortress, strength like God. But the Medrash gives it a different understanding. Um, let's skip down to the third line in that paragraph. Ve'ain Sur Kelokeinu. There is nobody who is a tzur, which again, the literal meaning of tzur means rock, strength, and so on. Ain't tsayar kelokeinu. There is no artist like God. The word tzur is very similar to tsayar. It's the same consonants. Keitza. What does it mean there is no artist like God? In what sense? Melech basav adam, a king, tzur tzura alakosal can draw on a stone wall, a fresco, and so on. Can he draw a picture on water? God draws the fetus in its mother's womb on water. Which means there is no artist like God. Let's try to understand that. The Medrash, we, I just heard um, Rabbi Weiner, as I was walking in, was appropriately mentioning this point, that halachically, a, a fetus until a certain stage is called maya bauma, water. In other words, it's a state that we cannot distinguish specific features. And I'm not sure exactly what it corresponds to. I'm sure somebody probably speaks about medically what that 40-day stage corresponds to. But it means you basically start with a mass that has no properties of its own. 
it's when you paint the medium that you're using and that you're painting on is very much part of the painting you can paint on a canvas and that's one type of painting you can paint in a book you can you can do a fresco you can carve a, a, a monument that's very much because the material you're working with has the ability to impress on it it, it can carry a picture that's the type of picture it carries on water Water is something that it's so nebulous, it doesn't carry, just like a, you can't paint on a gas because it'll just dissipate. You know, you can, have a, you can have an airplane make some letters, but that's it. If you paint on water, it's, it's not a very long-lasting painting. It, it, it dissipates very rapidly. So it, the inability to put structure on something that does not have any structure is the frustration of painting on water. But that God can impose a human body on something which is water, basically, that's the wonder of God. So Chazal are telling us here that human creation parallels global creation in the sense it starts with water and God impresses image and form onto water. As an aside, I want to say just, I once heard a word on this, it's a so beautiful I want to repeat it. It's got really not. It's it's on this chazal, but I've heard it in, in a very beautiful context. And I think just worth sharing as a, as an aside. Um, this I once heard somebody went to be Menachem Abel, Somebody went to comfort a mourner. Somebody lost somebody very young, and he sent over from Panevijerov a very beautiful thought about this medish. He said the following. It says that. It says a, a good painter, I guess in, in the days when paintings were real and realistic, the image looks very much like the person you're painting. There was a very famous painter in Israel, like a hundred years ago, who used to do in Shul's paintings. They were so lifelike that he painted in Meisharm Shul. Um, a sfarim shelf, like, like, you know, on the wall, he did a fresco of the shelf of sfarim, and people were forever going over trying to pull out a safer. That's how, that's how live was. He says, God makes paintings, and the paintings themselves think that they're full of life. That was the way, the figurines, he said, God puts figurines into the world that are so lifelike that they themselves think they're alive. It was very, very beautiful. And I wanted to share it because it's a beautiful thought on its own. It's not relevant. What is relevant is the Medrash is making it very clear that human creation parallels that process. There is water, and God can impose structure and order on the water. Let's go to the... the, the um, the next Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar again on page 5 who uses a different medrash to impose to, to, to tell us the same thing in different words it says man was created earth from the, from the Adama now I impose too much structure on, that, on this substance so you don't actually see it very well but it's quoting a Gemara here the Gemara is a very strange Gemara. The Gemara says in Sanhedrin that man, God created man Friday. The first hour, he, he lumped together earth. The, he put down earth. The second hour, he mixed it with water. 
Gimel, the third hour, Rachmai, he put limbs into it. The fourth one, he um, infused a, a soul into it. On the fifth hour, man stood. On the sixth hour, he called other animals by names. The seventh hour, he got married. The eighth hour, they gave birth, and so on. So, the Gemara is telling you something about the substructure of man and his creation. And let's take a look on page uh, 6, which is the second other side of this. He, the Rabbeinu Bechaya explains the different stages of it. The first one he says, he says that these, these steps are parallel to the days of creation. What happened in the first hour of man's creation is parallel to what happened the first day. The second hour is parallel to the second day. The third hour is parallel to the third day. So he says, the first hour is like he or, there shall be light, which is I, I, not what we want to talk about. So that's not hour. The second one is, Shenosan Gvula Ofa Hanizbar. He mapped out roughly, where the head or feet will be. In other words, the top-bottom alignment, just like the second day there was heaven and earth, which gives you the alignment of what's up and down, what's spiritual, what's material, what's good, what's not so good. Man gave the alignment, or the general alignment. The third, Shenosan Votsir Evarim, he put the form of limbs on a person, and that's when the, the, the limbs appeared. That's when the earth first became mapped out, like it says, I want to add uh, one more point that he's not saying here. The word used in the Torah for having earth appear is the water shall become gathered. The truth is the word doesn't mean, it does mean like a mikvah means a gathering of water, but the root in Hebrew is kav, a line, and the way it should be translated perfectly is there shall be delineated the earth in the oceans. The earth was there, but the ocean covered it. There was, when the ocean covers something, you lose all delineation. I mean, God forbid, like when the tsunami came, I mean, a place that was completely set aside, there was no more sense of what had been, where had been, no, no lines, nothing. So the form which delineated and said mountain, island, peninsula, lowlands, all of that happened in the, the third day. Yikavu Hamayim, the waters had a lines imposed on them. That delineated, like it says, Gvul Santa God made a boundary, and the waters could not go past it. That's really the creation of the third day. And, and therefore, the third hour was, man was a mass, and then God said, hand, foot, liver, heart, and not only the shape and the form, but the properties. A liver does what a liver does, a kidney does what a kidney does, and so on and so forth. So the Rabbeinu Bechaya is really just explaining the germ of the idea that the Tanchuma has given us about man being a picture on water, so to speak, he's explaining it in a lot more detail in this Chazal over here about the, the um, form of the Evarim 
coming into, into light. That is man. So we have here a parallel structure of the universe and man, side by side. A third element. Let's take a look on page 7. Page 7 is from the introduction of um, the Ramban on the Torah. And the, uh, the Ramban in the Torah is the, after Rashi, it's the commentary. It's, it's, it's the primary commentary. It's a very, very important commentary. And in, this introduction is very famous. This line over here that we're going to read is also quite famous, but people don't really quite understand the implications of what he's saying. It will take a look, but it's like a little 90 over there. He, he explains about the Torah and, and its roots and so on. He says, we also have a true tradition. All of Torah is, is full with the names of God. Because the letters, the words can be split up, the letters can be split up in different ways. For instance, you could possibly mix and read the words differently. In other words, the letters take on different combinations. And people just look at it as codes of sorts, I guess, and the way you can differently structure Torah. That's not the point of it. And, and let's explain one of the things that makes it difficult to find a Valkyrie on Shabbos, and why you have to pay a Valkyrie to come, is that the Torah has no vowels, no trup, nothing to help you read it. And it, when people are inexperienced in reading, they really make some truly phenomenal mistakes. You, you can actually hear you know, things that are really funny because it's run on. We think that it's kind of limitation. But that's not true. It's, it's the greatness of Torah the letters as they stand is primary matter, so to speak, from which a lot of different meanings can be cut. The, the vowels, the, the, the trap, which is really punctuation, is form that you're imposing on that Torah. And we have a tradition, a Torah Shabbat Pemesora, on what's the primary way to read it, and if somebody uses a different combination as a primary way of reading it, he's wrong. He's Megalopanim Toshokaloch, he's not Pekoris. But it may be used as an additional way of, of, of reading it. And therefore, um, it, it means that the Torah itself is primary matter in a certain sense. We've got one tradition as to impose Surah on it, but there may be other traditions, or not other traditions, but there may be other uh, readings that will give us also truths. Not there may be, but there are other readings. Um, again, as an aside, I'll just take a very interesting word I just remembered. Um, there's, it, uh, the Radzina um, says, the Ishbitz says, that it, it says that in the future we will be able to eat from the fruit of knowledge. And he asks, this Torah is not allowed to be changed. We know that the Torah will never change. How could that become um, permitted to eat? And like all, the, all these Medrashim about the future Mashiach, 
very hard a lot of times to know what's metaphor, what's kipshuto, but I'd like to give an explanation that, that, that so the Ratzina says the following explanation. It says in the Torah, you shall eat from all trees in the garden, except for the tree of knowledge of good and bad, you shall not eat. That's the way we read it in the Torah, and that's the correct reading. You're not allowed to eat from that tree. You are not allowed to eat from that tree. It says, when Mashiach comes, there'll be another set of truff, of Tamea Mikra. And we will read it as follows. You can eat from all trees in the garden and from the tree of knowledge of good. Semicolon. And bad you shall not eat. In other words, we will pass the words. There will be a trap there, a snachta. So it's the same Torah, but we were able to see today the true reading is you can't eat from the tree that has good and bad mixed because it's a mixture. And we're not smart enough and competent enough to divine the good from the bad. But in the future, the Torah will stand, but the same words will give us another meaning. Um, that, that's just a, sort of an illustration of how you can get another, another form stamped onto the same set of words. That's the third element. There's a fourth element, which I did not, I couldn't find the safer to photocopy, so we'll have to just do it out loud. It's a, it's a small one, a simple one. The, 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 the um, Ramchal, who wrote the Mesos Yisharim, Mutsato, has a book called Derech uh, Hashem. It's a very pithy and very important work, uh, which I know that somebody has studied. I, and, uh, the, um, and he says the following... He makes the following point about generations of humanity, of mankind. He says that Adam Harishon was supposed to be mankind, complete, total mankind, Jew, Gentile. There was no distinction between Jew, Gentile, or anything. Adam was man. After he sinned, it became necessary to bring out into this world a nation that will be specifically focused on finding the truth and carrying on this message, and other people will gain from them. So he says there was a waiting period when many nations could have become that. Once Abraham became what he was and who he was, it froze. The same way that priesthood in Kaisal froze at a certain time. It says, different Chazal, why was it that Aaron merited to be the priest? Why was it Moses merited to be Levites? There was a, a period of time when it was not fixed or frozen who would be chosen to be Jewish, who would be chosen to be a priest, who would chosen to be a Levite. And then at a certain point it became frozen. So in mankind as a whole, you have that same parallel structure of a, a time of undifferentiation and then a point past which it's, everything is in its own category, its own class, and with its own properties. So we have four parallel, um, I would call them creations, or aspects of creation, that follow the same pattern. You have the world universally has the, the tohu and bohu. It has the matter and the form stamped onto it. You find man is defined as the waters with something stamped on it. You find the Torah, and you find Israel amongst the nations, priests amongst Israelites, and so on. I, I want to try to understand, I don't know if the purpose of it is the right word for it, but 
what that tells us. What do we see from it? What do, like, what, sitting back, what is it that we should see from something like that? And now I'd like to use an idea that the morale brings. It's a kind of difficult idea, it's not a simple idea, and try to explain it as best as I can. The morale is bothered by a question that is something um, that kind of plagues him in a few places. And it must have been a question that philosophy raised in his times. And you see from the way he deals with it that he feels it's a very crucial question. The question is as follows. If the core of our belief is God's absolute unity, how can we have a world as diverse as it is? One of the things, one of the puzzles that led people to understand genetics was, how can you have two red-headed parents with a child who's um, black hair. It doesn't, it, you know, from, you can't cut from colds, you can't cut um, gold. You know, everything is what it is. So if you have a mixture, if you have ore, and you take out gold from it, and stone from it, and, and, and magnesium from it, 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 we know it's not as a mixture. But if you start, if we say God is total, and he's one, God is all good, God, it, 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 whatever it is, we, we relate to God as perfect unity. So how is it that we have diversity in the world? And diversity means good, bad, indifferent, um, every, every aspect, male, female, animal kind, plant kind, humankind, everything in the world that is so different, how from unity comes diversity? Um, my son was told, I guess this is a kind of a Yeshiva Bacha's joke. Um, he, my son left the Yeshiva with the boys are known to be on the shop with its side. And they said that they raised a question. There were somebody, one of their friends got married. He was black-haired. His wife was black-haired. And their child was red-headed. So how could that be? And they said this is absolute proof that God must be red-headed. Because it says every child has three partners, a father, mother, and God. So, <laughs> so it must be absolute proof perfect that Hashem is red-headed. It's a, it's a Yeshiva Bacha's type of humor. In, in a, but at any rate, it's, it was, on a serious vein, it was one of the most difficult issues. How, from where does diversity come? If, if the only, we, we don't describe God in any way but unified. Where does diversity so the, the morale says the following point, and again, it's, it's, it's not a direct answer, but um, he says, God created one matter, so to speak, one thing, and the thing within itself is diverse. I, I, I don't want to go into the more complicated philosophical part of it, but I want to try to bring it down to a point that's sensible to us. What he means is, everything in the world, you will distinguish its commonality and its, different, and, and its differences together. Every human being is made out of protoplasm. And every living being is made out of protoplasm. And yet, it's so different. When I have two people, I, I, it, it, where I get the tremendous sense of awe of creation is, there's obviously one father and obviously so much difference. Everything in the world is created from similar electrons. And I remember as a kid, I used to puzzle it. Well, you know, every, every element has different properties. 
But if they all come from electrons, where do the different properties come from? It is one of the basic riddles of physics. Maybe Rabbi Singer has some explanations for it. But, but as a rabbi, as a physicist, one of the two. But at any rate, it's one of the real riddles. But the, 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 what it does, what a person sees is the wonder of creation together with the unity of God in, in, in that, in, in, when he takes the entire scope of it, the world contains matter which is one. There is one matter, there is the tohu that is, encompasses everything in the world, and there's the bohu that's impressed on it, and that's distinct. So in this process, we're able to divine two stages. We're able to divine one matter that takes around the world, and that expresses the fact that there was one creator and one God and the unity of it. And the, 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 the tremendous speed of creation is that within that one matter is that differentiation. And I think that when you deal with stem cells, the, un- the discovery of stem cells really brings it home. When you look at a human body, and, you, and, and it's one person, it, it, and every single cell really has genes for everything, and at the stage after differentiation, there's no way a liver is going to become a heart. Even though it's the same exact, it comes from the same place, and it's the same cell with the same complements, it's, it's gone. And yet, at the elementary stage, they were all the same. So, yes, there are halachic issues, tremendous opportunities for, for health and so on, and that's definitely... But when you marvel, to marvel at God's handiwork, I think there's a special angle when you're dealing with this, when you're holding that stem cell in your hand, so to speak, there's a special element of marveling that you're seeing live. This process that we saw is really intrinsic to creation. You see that at one stage, the unity of everything expresses itself. And the same cell can be, go, can be a liver cell, can become a bone cell, can become a brain cell. And once that certain line has been passed of Bohu, it's no longer true. That, I think, is, is it, 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 and so like Akeda says, when, when we, we see science and understand new discoveries, I think every time there's a new marvel at a handiwork HaKadosh Baruch And the marvel of this takes us to Tovavo, it takes us to the wonder of Torah, that you have one document which expresses so many different truths, so many different angles to it, can be passed in so many ways. It expresses the wonder of mankind, that he starts as one unit and then becomes so, so many different subdivisions, and Kalal Yisrael, all of mankind is one group. It, it, that's the way it's, it, 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 mankind has a commonness to everybody, and then it has a specific function for everybody. It's the tribes in Kalal Yisrael, it's, it's Israel among the nations, and, and, it, and it's men in the world as a whole. Thank you.